A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. So I have a couple questions for you. Yeah. Um, one, is the Kardashian curse like over? Like, <laughs> I just need to know, like, because you love to do the cross-culture stuff, you know, like, is that over yeah, yet? I like, mean. Because Devin Booker, boy, I'm telling you, he's making a campaign for him. Conference finals have begun. Let's go! And our last finals, our last finalist of the Eastern Conference is set. Hawks Bucks because the Hawks defeated the <sighs> Philadelphia 76ers in seven games. Renee, how do you feel? Tell us all about Let's it. Let's go! Okay, sorry. I had to get <laughs> uh, that out. I feel really good, Jason. It feels great that we record this the day after this happened because I just want to remind people, let me take you on a little history lesson. I can remember because I was there in free agency. Y'all remember when we signed Bogey? Oh my gosh, you have to remember. We signed Bogey. We signed Gallo. No one cared. We said Clint Capella has been hurt for a year and a half, but he's going to be healthy. No one cared. So I want everyone to remember that. (laughs) I just wanted to make sure that we remember that because I was defending the Hawks' decisions. People were like, oh yeah, but you know, you guys need a lot. You haven't been to the, the playoffs in years. You got a young group. Listen, I remember all of it. I remember when we traded for Lou Williams. That was a big get. I can just remember how all the pieces, DeAndre Hunter, he had a great start. We still didn't even get him for for the end of this round, but I can just remember all the pieces that people didn't really think were a big deal. Look at us now. I'm just saying, hey, yeah, let's go. That's how I feel right now. Look, on the NBA on TNT, they started to play Nuck If You Buck all the time, but it's starting to be the anthem for Atlanta because no one has believed Atlanta since 2020. No one has believed Georgia since 2020. If you guys can recall, Georgia, we stood tall when it was the Senate race. We stood tall when it was the presidential race. Georgia's been saying a lot since 2020, and I'll just leave it at, we are in the Eastern Conference Finals now. Let's go! Okay, I'm just saying, I had to get that out. Thank you guys for allowing me this space. <sighs> I think one of the, for anybody that, that saw Game 7, a uh, really exciting and uh, a game and a series full of things to talk about. One of the uh, things that I think was a, a certain danger sign for Sixers fans and the team was that Trey Young, I think he was like one of nine or one of 11 in the first yeah. half. And the Hawks, it was a two-point game either way the whole time. Uh, that was that was a warning sign that it could get real bad. Because I'll tell you, it's it was really interesting to contrast uh, the struggles of Ben Simmons, which are much in the news right now, which we will talk about, and and Trey Young's struggles in that game. Because with Trey, he could go one for twenty. And I think the next shot's going in. And yep. he certainly thinks the next shot's going in. And yep. his whole team thinks the next 
shots going in. And if he shoots a 35 footer, I'm like, uh Oh, whether it goes in or not, I'm scared Facts. if I'm a Sixers fan. And then, uh, you know, contrasting that with Ben Simmons who really, man, it, what an interesting player he is because I have not seen a player get the yips in that way where they just did not want to shoot, didn't want the ball in a long time. It was hard to watch at times um, and really surprising. I mean, like just an, an evolution of the struggles that he's had kind of his whole career, but certainly within the postseason. Uh, ben uh, did not take a shot in the last four games in the fourth quarter. He was two for four in the uh, like in game seven a total of five points, but in in all of the fourth quarters for that whole series, a lot of times it was zero for zero. I think there was two games where he was 0 for 2 in two games, but to your point, like, and, and to, to the trade point, so there's a lot to unpack there. I, rem- I, saw a so clip, I saw a clip going around that was from 2017, and Ben Simmons was like, yeah, this hack of Ben thing is not going to happen any longer. I saw that recirculating because in 2017, it was happening a lot in games and they were asking him about yeah. it. And now we saw that the Hawks, they utilized it to their benefit a lot of times. You know, you hack them, make them think about it. Now everybody's thinking about free throws. And then when you go to the other side, Trey didn't have an amazing game. Like, Trey, right. Trey like he... One for nine at a certain point, one for 11. Yep. He, he finished the game yep. five for 23. Not one of his greatest shooting nights, but to that point, skill set matters because if Trey went one for 11, what Ben was doing, people would have told him, you better shoot the next one. But when, yeah, you got it. You know what I mean? But it's just a different yeah. feel because, of course, Ben Simmons is not a proven shooter. We know Ben Simmons struggles when it comes to beyond the three point line and even at the free throw line. Even take it a step further than that. Look at what Doc Rivers said right after the game. I mean, this was this was really surprising. Doc, you think Ben Simmons can can still be a point guard for for a championship team like the one you guys want to become? Yeah, David, I don't know that question or the answer to that right now. Um, you know, so I don't know the answer to that. Uh, so I I think the context for maybe some of the people who aren't super familiar with the career of Doc Rivers, Doc's. He's been a longtime coach. Uh, he's a great human being. And he's had a lot of success as a coach in the league. And I think one of the characteristics of Doc Rivers' coaching style is that whatever criticism he levels against players behind closed doors, outside of those doors, to everyone else, to the media, to opposing teams, to people asking questions, he will defend his players basically to the death there was a question uh, someone asked earlier in the in the postseason ben had shot less than 50 percent from the line in a in a game and doc was asked about it and he said well we got one point per possession which is a kind of like an advanced stat you want to <laughs> score a one point yeah. per possession or above to be an efficient offense well we got one point uh, per possession out of that so you know the analytics tell you that's good that's a ridiculous statement but it was it was it was in line with the way Doc Rivers right. runs his team. You know, he famously said after Kendrick Perkins uh, got injured during the, his time with the Celtics after their championship, people have yet to beat our starting five. Yep. You know, uh, that's the, so to hear this from Doc, I gotta say, I was shocked. I was jaw drops shocked that it happened was, right after the game. Like this is the number one team of the Eastern conference that yeah. obviously got knocked out in the semis, but for that to come out of Doc's mouth, that that says a lot. I mean, 
Simmons had zero field goal attempts in the, those 34 minutes of one. Like, that's a lot to come out of a coach's mouth. So, I mean, I look for Philly to shake it up. I know Philly's saying for a long time has been trust yeah. the process. And now, you know, a lot of people are questioning, okay, what's going to go on with Philly? We've trusted the process for long enough. Does it need to be re... Like, what are your thoughts? Like, what does... What does Philly I, need to do at this point? This feels like the end of of this run with this roster. Certainly the, those comments by Doc and then Joel's pretty pointed comments when he specifically called out the uh, the moment late in the game when uh, Ben uh, basically had a had an open dunk from the yeah. from the right baseline like and instead he passed it to Matisse Thibault. And they called a terrible foul. Sorry, I just Let me that game was full of bad fouls. <laughs> So Joel called that out as a, as a specific moment. And listen, like it, just in terms of fit, right? Joel Embiid is a dominant, dominant low post player, arguably the best player in the league for a lot of the season yep. when he was healthy before the injuries. And, uh, you know, Ben Simmons is a non-shooting guard who needs to push the pace, right? So uh, Joel th- will thrive with shooting around him. By the same token, you know, Ben's best lineup is probably four shooters around Ben Simmons. So it, it, from a basketball standpoint, it, it looks like a parting of the ways. And also, you know, Philly is a town that does, let's just say they're hard on their sports and they're hard on their athletes. And that's kind of their brand. They probably step over the line sometimes, but it feels like they, the patience has just kind of worn out. And then, and then the other thing with shooting, it's like, you know, I, I saw a lot of tweets where people were like, you should just take them or, you know, the thing is, like, this is not the work that can be done in the middle of the postseason, right. in the middle of the season. Yeah. You got to lay this foundation in the offseason. You got to tear up the house and put a whole new basement down. And I, you know what? Because but, this- Jason, to that point, I think that's why people are upset because Ben Simmons yeah. isn't a rookie. You know, he's not a, it's not his second year. So I think that's why a lot of people, I haven't seen somebody get yeah. as much slack as Ben Simmons has gotten, but. It reminds me of a Blake Griffin where he came in super athletic. We all knew it. But can you shoot? What other skill sets can you bring to the table? And I think people, I just, I mean, he's going to have to figure something out in the offseason. Ben Simmons, you have to go to work in the offseason involving shooting. You have to. Let's say he remains a poor outside shooter, like outside of the paint. But gets his free throw shooting, I don't know, into the mid-60s. Is that enough to be a contender? I don't think that's enough to get you into the conference finals or even certainly an NBA finals as a guard. But can you can you can you be a team that like moves the needle if you at least shoot 65, like just below 70 from the free throw? I don't know, Jason, because look at how the NBA is trending. Everything yeah. is threes and layups. So Ben has the the layups down pat, but no one really cares about that mid-range right now. Coaches, I'm talking about. Analytics, I'm talking about. So the fact that your guard can't shoot threes, it puts so much pressure on everyone else on the court because now you have a man, a defender, that's roaming around, all just just clouding up all of the paint, just mucking up the paint, helping off on Joel Embiid, digging down on Joel, helping, stunting, recovering. So I just... I think that that type of skill set could have been very effective in another era of the NBA. But where the NBA is trending, all they want, they want the post players shooting threes now. I mean, they don't even want post players that can't make threes at this point. Okay, so Ben has been 
poor, <laughs> poor Ben. And it's a threat. Poor Ben. I feel bad for him. Uh, as I feel as bad as you can feel for a guy who's in the first year of a, of a max deal. But it's like, man, that is, it's, it is a conundrum for sure. And you can see that he felt it like during those games. But I guess the next person, there's a lot of blame to go around. The next person we got to talk about is Doc Rivers, who's line, some of the lineups the Sixers played. I'm not sure why Dwight Howard, what Dwight Howard does that's like good on a basketball court other than the potential for like giving the opposing star an injury that, that keeps them from playing. Like other than that, I, man, Dwight has turned into a guy who just throws his arms around. Just, to, just a quick litany of some of the struggles Dr. Rivers has had uh, in the playoffs over the course of his career. He, of course, did win a title with the Celtics in 2008. 29 losses with a chance to clinch a playoff series, the most losses by a head coach in NBA history. Uh, a 341 win percentage is the worst of all time among coaches with 20-plus postseason games. He has now lost nine Game 7s, including four in a row, and he has lost five Game 7s at home the most in NBA history. That is not good. Oof. What amount of blame for this and or responsibility, I guess I should say, should 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 Doc, should the coach get for some of this? You know, I, I think a lot. I, I think, you know, a lot falls on the star player, of course, and that's what you get paid mm-hmm. for. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. But I think, too, there's coaching plays such a role in sports. I don't think that people really understand how much coaching means to sports. Here's an example to show you. Have you seen a player that played for one team and then they get traded and all of a sudden they look like a mega all-star for another team? Julius Randle. Julius Randle. Another team, another coach, another system. So Brandon Ingram. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like you could list them all. A lot of the people that left the Lakers, honestly. uh, Jordan Clarkson. I mean, Jordan Clarkson. uh, If you have a coach that believes in you, if you have a coach that makes adjustments to, to fit the style of players, if you have a coach that just gets it and gets his players and what they're good at and puts them in the best positions to be successful, that team instantly changes. And like, I love coach Lloyd Pierce. I like, I love him as a Mm -hmm. man. He's working my foundation, but the way that coach Nate McMillan understands the Atlanta Hawks puts the players in certain positions to where they all look like all-stars at this point. That's the talent. That's, that's when you see talent in the coaching. So in the same realm with doc rivers, he has the talent. We see it. Tobias Harris. I mean, he has Maxi. Look at what Seth Curry has just exploded onto the scene. You got Joel yes. Embiid. You got Ben Simmons. When you list all those players and then you list who we had and who we had hurt, look, Bogey was out there playing, but we all could see that Bogey was not Bogey. He's clearly yes. hurt. He's not mobile. When you look at who we had out there, and that's not taking anything away from our guys, Philly was the number one team for a reason. And so Doc... You have to be able to make adjustments, put those players in the right positions to be successful, including a Ben Simmons. You know, when you have a player that has glaring weaknesses, you have to hide them the best you can. Yeah. We know Trey Young is small. Everyone knows Trey Young is small. Knicks, you guys try to figure out ways to, yes. to bully him. What did Coach Nate McMillan do? He made adjustments, and we know Trey is small, but you can't do nothing with it. You can't isolate him. You can't get him on islands. You can't bully ball him. That's coaching. That's Trey Young being a great player, but that's coaching. And to that end, but one could argue that the Sixers, despite their collapse and, and the ignominious end to their season, kind of gave the Bucks a roadmap. Shh. They had, you know, <laughs> they had leads 
in crucial games in, in this series, 20, point, 20 plus point lead in game five before they, uh, before they choked it away, lead in game seven, slight lead late, you know, obviously one game six. Is that something you're concerned about? Like that they, you know, size and the size on the perimeter, try and try and put a lot of arms in, in, in Trey's vision and just hope that bogey and red velvet come and the on, rest rubble, of them. Red velvet, <laughs> Man, red velvet, what a come up for my guy uh, into the national consciousness. He's become a meme overnight. <laughs> yep. You know, for me, and this really like everyone knows I am a, really big fan of the Hawks. I will just throw that out there in water is wet news. I love the Hawks, okay? <laughs> and and then I can also, hey, 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 okay? So just so we understand, <laughs> but I want people to also understand that I know basketball. And so when I watch basketball, I was telling you this when we played against the Knicks, I'm like, we lost to the Knicks one game. Jason, you can attest this. I came on here in the production meeting. I'm like, I'm so excited right now because basketball me, what I saw happening on that court, I know yeah. we won that series. Like, And we weren't by far the winners of that series yet. But basketball me, looking at the X's and O's, the shots that Trey Young misses by sheer our offensive repertoire, Trey Young still gets a lot of wide open shots. So yes, put the big guys on them. Yes, beat them up. Yes, try to, you know, play this bully ball. Our offense still generates wide open shots. That's why the biggest thing for me and people see me tweet about it is whether or not we're on that night. Like when we're on and then we go on those unreal runs and we like 25 to 7 runs, that's when we're hitting the open shots that we're getting. I can remember when we lost the game. Um, I think it was game six. We lost it, but we were missing those wide open shots. It was down to that last, yeah, even threw it to a three. We missed the same shot that John Collins had made in another series. I think our biggest worry is if we're making or missing shots with the Hawks. I don't care what people do because we've seen a hundred different defenses on Trey. We've seen even regular season. They were trapping him at half court. National fans don't see that because they don't watch us. Teams were trapping Trey Young at half court in the regular season to try to make anybody but Trey beat him. We've seen it all. I'm not concerned about that. I'm just concerned, are we making or missing shots that night? I really feel mm -hmm. that way, no matter who we're playing. Uh, finally, like, can you, listen, you're, you're a shooter. <laughs> can you fix, how long does it take to fix a shot? Like, can you completely rebuild the shot? Like, there's some talk, there's a lot of conjecture that Ben is actually right-handed. Uh, he, for reasons unknown, uh, learned to shoot with his left hand, but he does most everything in his life with his right hand. How long does it take to fix a shot, and what do you have to do? Well, you know, it's interesting because we played Ben just now. We're about to play Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think that there's a lot of similarities in those two in a sense of those are guys that, you know, for whatever reason, their shots just are not there. I don't – I think with Ben, it's repetition. I'm one of those people – I'm sorry, when it comes to Giannis, Ben, even a Blake Griffin, I believe in repetition, and so mm. when people talk about, we've all seen players that may not have the prettiest shot, but it goes in, right? Like it may yep. not, the form may not be there, but boy, is the accuracy there. That's repetition. And the reason I say that for the people that don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to basketball, your form is everything. Like Steph Curry has such a pure shot. Ooh. Clay Thompson, such a pure shot. That means your elbows in. All you got to do is line it up and it should go in. That's, that's what we mean by a pure and all the form, but people without that still have found a way that even if there's a hitch in your shot or it's not lined up, they still make shots. That's repetition. I feel like all offseason, the only thing that Ben 
needs to be doing. The only thing that Giannis and them, you just have to just focus on shooting. Repetitions get a... I mean, we saw LeBron James. I don't know if people remember this, but LeBron used to have a knock yep. on him that he wasn't yep. a good enough outside three-point shooter. Yep. So what did LeBron do in that offseason? Like, even still now to this day, to this day, people don't believe that LeBron James can make threes, but we've seen it time and time again now in big moments. He's knocked down threes. Injuries have been a storyline of this last two seasons. You know, uh, we can debate the effect the compacted schedule had on it, but I got to say... I think a lot of us thought the Nets would win, but they had two of the greatest players that have ever played on the court. Kevin Durant showed why he is just one of the most electric scorers, maybe the best scorer in NBA history in game five. But man, he was completely depleted at the end of game seven. Like I have not seen someone that tired in a long time. He airballed his last three. He was like when there were stoppages in play land, he just looked like he needed to take a nap man uh shouts to him for trying but and but congrats to the bucks it's been a lot of adversity you mentioned the shooting woes for Giannis, um but at least man i i can't wait for this series because i i think the thing is you know a lot of the a lot of the uh, the criticism of coach budenholzer was like are they going to put Giannis on somebody are they going to use him on defense like what is going to happen there uh, I'm I'm fascinated to see if they have Giannis guard Trey or be part of the scheme oh to like gosh. block out the sun over Trey. I pray they do. That would be from your mouth to the coach's ears. <laughs> like I like that would be amazing because I think that one of Giannis's main strengths is his length, his athletic ability. He's meeting people at the rim the same way Lopez is. You know what I mean? So I think, mm-hmm. great. Put him out there at the three-point line to chase around Trey. You want to see somebody tired? Great. That would be <laughs> that would be great. Like like I said, like I would love to see that. But, you know, we got to give props to when props is due. The difference between a Giannis and, and a Ben Simmons is Giannis had 40 points and 13 rebounds and closed out yes. a series yes, against a team that – you know, and I know they had injuries, but all we heard, we didn't hear anything about any of those teams in the East. I want people to understand that, too. It was, can the Nets compete with the West teams? And I'm talking about earlier in the season. There was no conversation for anyone else. It was, oh, my gosh, the Nets got Kyrie. They got James Harden. They got Kevin Durant. <laughs> Who are they going to have to be able to compete against in the West? So to Giannis's defense, he does have a glaring fault when it comes to shooting, but he still finds a way to get it done. 40 points and 13 rebounds, and we have to shout out yeah. Chris Middleton. Like, I know that we talk a lot about Giannis and everyone else, but he's, Chris Middleton, he's really good. 23 he's and 10, really good. and the time that he gets his buckets, they are very timely buckets for them. Yeah, he is really, really good. I have to ask about Giannis's, the amount of time he takes to shoot. Oh, gosh. Ball. So... The NBA cracked down on the Nets because they were putting a shot clock up on the jumbo truck. <laughs> I can't. I love it here in sports. I would just like to say. <laughs> and the fans were Wait, counting. But if that's the rule, <laughs> they should be allowed to put the clock on the jumbo truck. Oh they should be allowed gosh. to do it. Like, it's just, it's just an indication of time. And he does take a long time. Man, what is, what, what is the response in, uh, going to be in Atlanta? When, when Giannis goes to that line and he goes through his routine, which uh, amounts to, he, he basically takes two like ghost free throws. Like he, he gets into his stance and then he 
without the ball shoots one. And then he kind of shakes his shoulders and he shoots another one. And then he gets the ball, then he takes a deep breath, and then finally shoots it. And usually that's about So you studied this. So Jason, you studied this at this point, I'm assuming. <laughs> I am. You just see it so much at this point. Like I I mean, uh, do you I think I can tell uh, you what we're not gonna do? Well, I don't know, but after watching the Nets count, he was making more of them. The announcer even highlighted it. He did, the more, yeah, he did make more of them. Yeah, the more the fans counted how long it was taking, it was like he liked it and he started making more yeah. than he normally makes. So if Atlanta fans are listening, please, let's not count. Let's let him do his normal <laughs> routine, shoot his normal percentage without us doing that because, I mean, it does seem like an extremely long amount of time. Like, I will say that. It's pretty, <laughs> he gets himself all the way together at the free throw line. He really does. He gets the whole thing. And I, you know, it's a good point. I think that, I think the counting, it just took his mind off it somehow. Yeah. I'm not sure because like, you know, as we saw with Ben, you can get in your head in, yeah. in basketball. It is a confidence sport. And when your confidence goes, there's no foundation to build anything on. So Jason, dare I ask, what are your predictions Oof. for this round? The Bucks versus the Hawks. I mean, no one really saw this as an Eastern Conference final matchup, but here we are. I'm going to put it, uh, Hawks and seven. Oh, okay. Okay. So we're going the whole distance. I think we're going to go the whole distance because hey, here we go. Hey, hey. <laughs> I just think both these teams have shown for all their strengths, have shown an ability to fumble the bag and crucial. There's still a lot of learning here and a lot of growing. The Hawks are shouts to them for growing and growing into themselves at exactly the right time, but they're still figuring it out, still figuring it out like the, the killer instinct. And I think the same could be said of the Bucks. I, I think it's going to be a long series and I'm kind of hoping for a long series. I, I think that would be really fun. Oh, I'm glad you said that because like, I'm so here for all game sevens that don't involve the Hawks. I knew it. The yeah. Night what was, is that? Oh, what I that knew like? it. It's terrible. Like I'm telling you, it's like, and then people are tweeting me. Am I worried? It's game seven. Anything can happen. Of course, I'm worried. That doesn't mean I don't believe, but you just, it's so fun. Like, I never experienced it. I've been in plenty of, we have game fives in the WNBA. I've been in multiple game fives in the WNBA. Cool, calm, and collected. That's great. I get to control my own destiny. I'm confident in that. When you have to sit by and watch what happens in a game yeah. where you're emotionally invested, I don't want a game seven, okay? I know you said Hawks in seven. I would, I would much rather Hawks in six, please, and thank you. And you mentioned something, fumbling the bag. The yeah. Suns take game one of the Western Conference Finals. Mm -hmm. Chris Paul did not play. Did the Clippers fumble that game and fumble that bag? No. First of all, I would reject the premise because this is the first, and this is actually a shocking stat, but it's their first conference finals in franchise history they've had some really good players i have to interject they have multiple players like that's you know <laughs> like i let's not take that route well you have a multi-champion that's leading your team i just will say that so i actually think fantastic achievement for them I i'm really happy for uh paul george like shutting up the critics like never forget that he was playing on the road in Utah and the crowd was chanting overrated him. Now did Reggie Jackson did, uh, did man did various other players step up and, and save him a little bit. Yes, but he had good games and he played on, he played wonderfully on both sides of the ball. Um, I think, listen, game one, you lose game one on the road. 
that's not a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal. It's the playoffs, but you, you expect that. Okay. So now you adjust and you come back out and you see what you have. Um, but I don't think it's a fumble the bag situation, certainly. And it's still, a, it's still a great achievement for a Clippers franchise in their first conference finals. And it's honestly a lot of pressure off them too. The fact that, you know, they were, they, they've had a tumultuous postseason themselves in inviting the Mavericks yeah. uh, to be their, their, their first round opponent. And then, very nearly choking that away going through uh having to deal with Kawhi's injury which I don't know do you do you see it as a good or bad sign that we don't really know the exact nature of Kawhi's injury yet um I see it as a good sign because if it was something that was going to keep him out let's say the rest of the year I feel like they would have just came out and said you know we won't have him or we won't I mean I don't know I it's interesting because with all of this, Chris yeah, Paul, it, Chris Paul is still day to day due to the COVID protocol. You know, I don't know if that's yeah. good or bad. Does that mean like, yeah. you know, I don't know what to take yeah. this, but I just know like from a player's perspective, when you're in the Western Conference Finals and you have one of the best players on another team, Chris Paul, as we know, he's considered the best leader in the NBA, like one of the best leaders to ever play. He's been the closer mm-hmm. for them a lot of times. Devin Booker's been doing his thing all throughout. He had 40, 13, and 11 in that first game. Woo! But if you're missing somebody like a Chris Paul, the athlete preparer in me is like, oh, we got to go steal this game. Like, let's go. We need mm-hmm. to st- we're the uh, we're we're not the home court team anyway. So you got you already know you got to steal a game off rip because you're not the higher seed. So when I'm preparing for these type of situations, you're always looking at, all right, we got to go steal one. This was the one. It's game one. They're missing Chris Paul, who has all the experience. Like, we know, again, you talked about it from the Clippers side. Uh, hello, Suns. They haven't really been in this position in recent history either. So Very true. if I'm thinking from the Clippers perspective, absolutely, that's the one. Like, that's the one you steal where their leader is out with COVID protocol. That's unexpected. That's the one. And I'm not saying that they obviously are like should have absolutely won it, but I'm saying athlete me, yeah, that's that's the one. What's your uh what's your prediction for this series? Man, I you know, we we shouldn't doubt ourselves. Last time when we were talking about the Suns series, we we both kind of played around with would the Suns sweep somebody because they were that good when they when they played against the Lakers, they looked that good. I don't think yeah. I don't think it's gonna be a sweep, but boy, do I think Suns in five. Like I, I just really yeah. they're dominant right now. And and for them to do that without Chris Paul, I just that's a good looking team. What are your thoughts? I'm gonna I agree with you. I'm gonna give them one more game. I'm gonna say Suns in six just because of uh the the indefinite nature of Chris Paul's uh yeah. absence. And the fact that I think the Clippers have a lot of pressure off them. I think they're going to be formidable in L.A. But, yeah, I think the Suns, the way they're playing right now, that is another team that has grown into itself as, as the playoffs have gone on. And they're just – it's almost house money at this point. You know, everybody is making a name for themselves. There's no pressure on them until, like, a, a pressure game comes up. Yeah. But they just look to be absolutely flowing. Devin Booker – is magnificent. DeAndre Ayton is playing the best basketball of his career. They are on, you know, campaign. They're on a level right now. So I have a couple questions for you. Um, one is the Kardashian curse like over. We see Dev. Like <laughs> I just need to know, like, because you love to do the cross culture stuff. You know, like is that over yeah, yet? I like mean, 
Because Devin Booker, boy, I'm telling you, he's making a campaign for him. Well, it depends on how you define it, right? Because Ben Simmons was also involved in the Kardashian universe, and he is at a very tough time. And and I think that, you know, to me, when we say Kardashian curse, what we really mean is, can this person manage their extremely busy social life with their career? And I think Devin Booker has answered that in the affirmative. And I think that a lot of people have struggled with that, have struggled with the kind of burdens of being a celebrity and being a a star on that kind of like national level with the nuts and bolts job of being an NBA player. And I think Devin, whether or not the curse still exists, (laughs) Devin Booker has answered that call, I think at this point. I, I like, I agree. I don't even think it ever existed. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Now to baseball, after conducting a season-long investigation, MLB is now enforcing and really strictly enforcing penalties on players who use uh, sticky substances, illicit foreign substances on baseball's pitchers that allow them to get a grip. Uh, This is a thing that uh, the MLB can at least anecdotally measure now with spin rate and their ability to kind of like zoom in with high-def cameras and really look at the way the ball is spinning. Uh, enforcement went into effect June 21st. This opens up a lot of discussions about how MLB policies and its players, but also how they market the sport at this particular time as their fan base, you know, continues to be a pretty homogeneous, older, white, uh, conservative in the sense of conservative about uh, progress with regards to its sport. So, man, this I think this is a really interesting situation because cheating if you want to call it that and sticky substances have been part of baseball for as long as baseball has been around for 140 years yeah and here they are changing it all of a sudden it is having effects on on pitchers pitchers being asked about it tyler glasnow said uh quote i 100 percent believe that the banning of substances contributed to me getting hurt he had uh partially torn his ulnar collateral ligament and had a flexor strain is MLB handling this the right way? And is this what they had to do right now? You know, MLB has been caught in a lot of sticky situations. <laughs> no pun intended. MLB is no stranger to people cheating, yes. 
people breaking the rules, people using illegal substances. I think, you know, I like I've seen a lot of games in a sense of we cover a lot on TMZ and with MLB, the lingering effects of the cheating of the previous seasons are still in this season. So I think the MLB knows that they got to do something like whether it's the people banging on trash cans, whether it's illegal substances being used, you know, like the MLB has problems. And so I think this is them like basically acknowledging that, okay, maybe we got some problems we have to fix and we're starting with the balls and and we're starting with the substances. But I think that MLB has a, a bigger problem and that's that people cheat in MLB not Every once in a while, it happens more frequently than maybe it should. So I think that it's like horse racing. It's time to clean it up. We saw that horse racing did something they never did before. I think that this is the cleanup time of America, right, I feel like. Right, 2020 a put a point. lot of things on focus, and everyone looks like leagues-wise, businesses, corporations, brands. It looks like everybody's starting to just clean up their house a little bit. I, that's a good point because, I mean, this is something we were talking about off mic, but Sports in general, the three major sports, football, MLB, NBA, basketball, yeah, um, have been in this weird, COVID aside, in this weird, like, crisis era, right? With the NFL, it's concussions and uh, their players uh, engaging sometimes in, in criminal and or problematic activities and the response of, the, of their teams to those players. And of course, diversity at the highest levels of the league. And then you have LMB, the yep. aging, uh, aging fan base. Games can take five and a half, six hours sometimes. Uh, is there a way to speed it up? What do we do? How do we match our game to the changing tastes of a, a younger demographic? And then NBA, we have uh, TV ratings are going down. How do we change that? What do we do as we transition into an era in which we can envision LeBron moving from the stage? Uh, are big markets too dominant? Like all of these conversations have engendered a kind of atmosphere of of constant crisis. And I think this is this the sticky balls is just another one uh, for MLB. They they put out a statement. Did you just say the sticky I I, balls? I had to. There was no way I could. Uh, Jason! There was no way I could avoid saying it, and I was hoping you would just let it go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Of course not. <laughs> so MLB came out with a statement and said uh, essentially why they're uh, cracking down. Quote, it has become clear that the use of foreign substances has generally morphed from trying to get a better grip into something else, an unfair competitive advantage that is creating a lack of action and uneven playing field. I think one of the things that players, coaches, and a lot of fans are asking for is just kind of like a a MLB um, product that they say is okay. So batters use pine tar, right? And that's that's allowed within the rules. Mm -hmm. Pitchers really don't have anything. For a long time, they've been using um, rosin, which everybody's allowed to have like a rosin bag, but that combined with either sunscreen or some other substance that can like really give them a grip. But lately they've been using this stuff called spider tech, uh, which if it's, it's crazy, it's like, it's basically glue. And that has allowed players to, you know, have super sharp edges on their control, get spin rates that are just kind of like superhuman. And, and it's one of those, this is why we can't have nice things situations. Um, I think what, you know, what the MLB just needs to do is be like, okay, you can use this. Here's the thing you can use and that's it. And everything else, if we catch you using it, then it's a problem, but you can use this right now. 
Um, and I think the other thing is, you know, with, with MLB is like, there's a real addiction to, to uh, velocity. Like that is the pop in the, in, in when, even in the marketing of, of baseball. Oh my God, this guy is throwing 98, 101, 104, yeah. 105. Like that is what it's about. That's the, that's the eye popping stat that uh, baseball and teams and pitchers and players use to like market the sport right now is, Oh my God, look how fast these guys are pitching. And in order to square that with not like killing somebody who's standing at the, at, at bat, a lot of these pitchers feel like they got to use something. And I think that that'll be an interesting thing is how do you, how do you square this addiction to velocity with actual control that is possible to have without, covering your hand in like glue it's like dipping your hand in a vat of glue this is like crazy to me i have a question though because you you named all of those things going on baseball's trying to fix it up but one of the questions that we talked about is is controversy actually good for a for growing a sport so it like what do you think like is is changing the rules, is saying out loud that we're changing the rules. So now fans might be coming to it saying, oh, okay, they're trying to make mm. things better over there. Does that actually help? I, I, think, I think it helps in this way. I think the kind of controversy that highlights the player and allows players to express themselves or that is about players either expressing themselves through the way they play the game or the way they their flair for the game, I think that is generally good. Bat flips guys staring at home runs in the NFL. It would be celebrations in the end zone. That kind of, that kind of controversy I think is good because it highlights kind of what's fun about the sport, even though it is like sort of illicit. I'm not sure that guys cheating is necessarily a thing that would help grow the sport. And like, (laughs) you know, well, not necessarily cheating, but just the change of rules. Like if you're coming out and saying we're going to actually change rules, we're going to actually if they do in the si- the further situation, we're going to shorten the game. We know that the controversy is that the games are too long. We're shorting the game. Like is that now just taking the controversy? Like is it- isn't that helping the sport in a sense? The controversy is now turned into PR or like because let me give you an example. The WNBA. Sure. We rebranded and basically the rebrand was. All right, we're going to let WNBA players be their authentic selves. That's a great. So if yes. you're tatted up, we if you're if you're a sneakerhead, if you got dreads down your back, you know, if you're a tomboy or or if you aren't feminine, we don't care. We're going to embrace yeah. that. Brittany Griner, we are steering into your vibe. We're steering into your energy. Yeah. We're putting you front We're tapping and into that. We're leaning into that. And what's the worst part about it is leaning into that is almost controversial because as we yeah. know, the trolls, the, one of the big knocks was none of the women look like women or oh, getting the kid. You know, all those things that were you could call controversy surrounding a certain type of fan base, of course. The WBA has actually leaned into those things and now it's become our selling point. The women have a voice. The women speak for themselves. The women stand up for causes that are close to them. The women are sneakerheads. They are more athletic than you sitting on the couch. You know, like that all all has been embraced now. So the whole controversy and honestly, the way the WNBA used to brand us before, you know, we had, I will never forget one of our, 
like promo songs was this one's for the girls and i was like yo yeah right this, this does not give me hype for a game man and like yeah. we can all go back and look at the photos that were of former WNBA players where that wasn't the player swag but the WNBA wanted it to be yeah. they've gotten rid of that and become our most authentic selves and i think that the WNBA's taken off for it those storylines you know those celebrations to your point but for a long time leaks have tried to almost move against that. They wanted almost robots, we call it, and, and toy soldiers. Yeah, I think this is a particular problem in the MLB where, uh, you know, a pitcher standing on a mound has legitimately the potential of seriously injuring someone who's at bat. And I think part of the reason that baseball is has been so aggressively against players like, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. and others like expressing themselves, staring at their home runs, flipping their bats, et cetera, is because, man, if a pitcher gets mad, they could kill somebody. Yeah. That said, I, I think to your, to your previous point about the NBA, the kind of controversy that could help grow baseball is the kind that highlights how cool, how fun, how charismatic, how personable their players are. And I think that ties back to the sticky stuff in the sense that less sticky stuff means more scoring, means more home runs, means more runs, means more uh, uh, players moving around the bases, means more chances for offensive players to express themselves in that way, which I think is cool. I have two questions because this is this is interesting to me. I don't really know baseball, so I want to ask you these two. How will umpires know if it's sticky or if it's not sticky? Like I don't watch enough to to know. And then do people really care that pitchers are using sticky substances? I mean, maybe that's a dumb question. I don't know, but like, I, I know what you're saying now that might be less home runs, but like, is I think too, half of the highlights that the MLB posts are when those balls are doing a crazy break or go like half of the way that they advertise is, is about that kind of stuff. So you can tell. I'm trying to figure out where do they want to live? They can tell. I mean, with the, with the, with the cameras that they have now, they can they can really tell. Like I, they can count the revolutions on the ball in real time. Yeah. You're talking about in real time. They can they can tell, and they'll have people. You know, if you're an opposing team, you'll be in the dugout and be like, "This guy's using it." They'll complain to the ump, and the ump will go up. Um, okay. So I think that there is there is it, it's pretty easy, and then you just go up and you're like, "You know, can I touch your hand? <laughs> you know, like let me see the bill of your okay. Hat. Let me see your glove." Let me see the stuff now. Like there is uh, Zuri, uh, one of our producers said, maybe they can have pitchers have to, like the ump will hold the glove until the pitcher goes to the mound and the ump gives them the glove. At the same time, man, you know, some of these guys have been hiding stuff everywhere. Al Leiter was a pitcher for uh, almost 20 seasons. Like he hid stuff everywhere like on his pocket on his pants like on the bill of his hat again and see that's what i'm saying in real time how are, are are the refs are the umpires going to be able to police the sticky objects to call the game to and now they can throw out players at their discretion so like how far is mlb really going to take this because this could get interesting in a hurry if a ref throws out a player that he suspects is using sticky substances and then maybe he mm. isn't. It's just sunscreen that was on his arm for the game to your point that you talked about earlier. So what, like, how far can they, I don't, I just, how much can you police this? I don't know, but. I think it will depend on if players complain and if they're, uh, continue to complain and if 
there is a rash of injuries amongst amongst pitchers because you just have to grip the ball a lot harder if you don't have stuff on your hand uh, to get the control that you need. And that increased muscle tension leads to increased ligament tension, leads to a different throwing motion, leads to you not having as many throws in your arm, leads to guys inevitably breaking down. I think if we see that, maybe they take their foot off the gas, but it really had progressed to a level where, I mean, there was like six no-hitters just in the first couple months of the season, only one fewer than the modern record for an entire season, more strikeouts. It had come to a point where MLB was like, okay, like we need to do something because the pitchers have too much control. We'll see what happens. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. For those of you who might have been living under a rock, this past Saturday was Juneteenth. The NBA held several events and initiatives to celebrate the day as it continues to pursue racial equality and justice for black men and women. Joining us now to talk more about this is the executive director of the NBA Foundation, Greg Taylor. Greg, welcome to Take Line. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Thank you for joining us. Well, Greg, last week, legislation passed making Juneteenth a national holiday. The NBA Foundation has been leading the charge in a number of Juneteenth initiatives. So just tell us about what the NBA and its players are doing to honor this day in history. Well, you know, it, it, Juneteenth is an incredibly important day in, 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 the, in African-American history. We know that the marked the end of slavery when uh, the slaves actually received the news of the ending of slavery. And, and I think the federal legislation is certainly a step in the right direction. But I, I do want to underscore that, you know, creating a holiday is a great move, but we need action and, 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 and tangible progress moving forward. And so what this does is acknowledge that the vestiges of slavery were uh, criminal and, and terrible. And so this is celebrates that end. I get that. But this is about, you know, things like equity and education, access to health. Like we need systematic and, 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 and really practical change, practical change moving forward. So it's a step in the right direction. I'm excited about that. But there's so much more to do. And I want to be clear. That's what we're focused on the NBA Foundation. You're the first executive director of the NBA Foundation. Sure. Can you talk about talk about um, what spurred the creation of this role uh, yeah. and what and, and what you hope to do. 
Yeah, no, I mean, you know, the, the league has had a long-standing history of action around social justice and civil rights, but I would take you back to the bubble in Orlando when the when the Milwaukee Bucks decided not to play. While we have a long-standing history, and actually the foundation had been up before that moment, I do think that was an inflection point, uh, and it kind of caused the league to really think a little bit about how do we use our platform, what do we want to be known for, what's our voice in the world, and I think the NBA Foundation was one of several uh, efforts at the league that was created. So, yeah, uh, January 4th, man, you know, I came on as the executive director of the league. I've been uh, at the NBA for, you know, eight and a half years in other positions. Renee, that's why I know you and your career and what you got going, and I get it. But uh, it's really about economic opportunity for black kids. What we're suggesting is there's lots of social justice issues, but the issue we are trying to face and tackle uh, is really closing the racial wealth gap between uh, African-American and, and white families. We know it's a tenfold gap. And while we're not grand to think we're going to solve it for everybody, we do want to, for those young people that participate in the organizations we invest in, we are trying to take a stand around meaningful employment, living wage, benefits, uh, mentorship, professional opportunities. We're trying to work in our NBA markets because we know our teams and the union and others, we're all partners in this around the work, but our teams represent anchor institutions on the economic side. And we're trying to tell positive storylines. Too often our young people are defined by stereotype or bad decision. And we're saying, nah, these young people are producers and champions and leaders. And why, how best to use the NBA platform to get out that message about our young people. That's what the NBA Foundation is all about. Wow, I love everything about that. Greg, I got to talk yeah. to you after this about my foundation Ooh. because <laughs> I hear so much synergy, seriously. Let's go. Let's go. And, yeah. and so that makes me ask, you know, what initiative or effort are you most proud of or are you looking forward to? Because you talked about that tenfold gap. You talked about telling positive stories. So, you know, like what hits you? What hits closest to home for you? Well, what's really what hits home for me is I'm amazed in this era of social unrest and social change how many companies and corporations have made these bold proclamations about, you know, wanting to yeah. invest money. I've heard the Wall Street Journal may have been 50 billion, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of money pledged to these issues. So, you know, folks know there's a need and they know there's an opportunity. The challenge is I'm not sure many of those companies have really operationalized what that plan is. What happens <laughs> on Monday morning? How are you changing your hiring practices and how you're preparing young people, in this case, black youth? So what really excites me is I think the NBA has a bit of a halo uh, and a positive brand that folks want to be associated with. We can build tables to have authentic and genuine conversations. You know, that what we're hopeful is the outcome will be how you prepare and place young people in meaningful uh, employment in different ways. And so, Renee, I'm super excited about that. Like, I'm super excited at, yeah. like, the hiring partners or the heads of human resources departments or the diversity and equity and inclusion officers to literally sit around a table and, you know, other brand recognizable companies and really talk about what do we have to do differently to hire our young people uh, in different ways. Our young yes. people want to work. Our young people have perspective. Our young people can contribute to your bottom line. But this is about getting kids ready for companies, but also getting companies ready for kids, right? And so how do we have that yeah. back and forth? So that's what we're about. And that's what we're trying to figure out. And we got a long way to go. We know there's lots of leaders in this space, but we're, we're here too. And we want to have a conversation with anybody who wants to partner to do this differently. Because it's about economic opportunity for black kids. That's what we're very clear and unapologetic about. Love it. The Board of Governors has pledged uh, $300 million, uh, over 10 years towards these issues, leaving aside whether uh, you know that's enough, whether $1 million per team 
for 10 years is enough. How do you connect, uh, to, to your uh, earlier point about an action plan, how do you connect that money with actionable solutions? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, the, the governors have been incredibly generous in their uh, initial effort, and yeah. all of them have talked about this being a, a foundation that would last in perpetuity, that the $300 million over 10 years is simply meant to send the message that the league knows this is a longstanding problem. It takes significant resources to be a leader in this space or at least a partner in this space. But the expectation is that we will raise more money and that we will be a foundation in perpetuity going forward. So I want to be really clear about that. A lot's to do, but that is the mission. I, you know, we have three strategies. We're trying to build really strong, durable, lasting partnerships at the local level in our NBA markets between the NBA like-minded companies that want to hire black people, different, black youth differently, and nonprofits that have a history of preparing those young people for work. So think about it as like a three-legged stool on the ground in community. The second is about meaningful employment. Far too often, folk in the black community are in retail, healthcare, or food service. Mm. And note, while my mama said there's honor in all work, the reality is those are hyper-local and hyper-vulnerable jobs. We want to really be about recruiting employers in knowledge works, in digital and fintech and, and, and you know, other areas or growth areas that really have a living wage, mentor, and professional development opportunities. And then thirdly, it's about storylines. What I said a minute ago, like we can no longer define our young people by socioeconomics or where they've been or poor decisions. We, we want to define them and get that information out. Uh, to the larger public. And so to me, the real opportunity is to capture those storylines, create am amazing content, and utilize the NBA's, you know, place in the content world as a, you know, global media company to really try to change hearts and minds and eliminate stereotypes around Black kids, that they are leaders and champions and producers and that youth voice matters. So anyway, that's what we're doing. And uh, I think those are the missions to try to operationalize our commitment. You know, I wanted to ask you about the athlete activists because this has emerged, you know, yeah. it's always been there. We've seen yeah. it since the beginning of time, but 2020 was just a time like no before. What are your thoughts, you two being a former athlete? Like, what are your thoughts when it comes to now athletes speaking up? You know, this is what happened with Milwaukee last year. That's basically how what the jump off point was. And it's the it's the culmination of all this athlete activism coming to a head. So what are y'all's thoughts and feels on that? Well, let me just correct a little bit, push back. So I was an athlete until Gary Payton took my spot in high school <laughs> and I ended up passing them the water bottle for the Once rainy an rain athlete, always an athlete, okay. One of Gary's first steals that we're hearing about right now. But I also want to be clear, we both made the league. So let's just be clear about that. Okay. Now, okay. But to your point, no, don't, don't promote we were there. I haven't earned that yet. No, I, I think to your point, there's a couple of things. I mean, again, it opened up with history as we talked about who we are as a league and what our reputation has been. But we're also enjoying, uh, I think, an era where both our mega superstars and our everyday players are equally committed to social justice issues. And, and I think folks, you know, players understand that in order to be a leader in this space, you got to do some research. You got to be a student of the issues. You've got to, you know, got to walk before you run. And so I, I think to your point, you know, I, I, my read, I actually was in the bubble when Milwaukee uh, decided not to play in Orlando. And I, I think that was just the culmination of a lot of effort. If you remember prior to that, a number of the players, I think about Tobias Harris, a member of yeah. our board, who literally was using every one of his interview platforms to say, you know, say her name. And yep. was talking about the Breonna Taylor conscious race. And I know you guys on the W side, Renee, are just leading the charge with other folk. And so I just think we're blessed to be in that era. I think you couple that with 
you know, the truism that there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. And so you got what's happening in community. You've got the NBA recognizing that the brand matters and that we want to be on the right side of history of these issues. You've got players who are willing to organize and move forward and really lead. You've got owners. go. Everybody's stepping up. And the question is, how are we going to do it? And I think in many ways, one of those strategies is the NBA Foundation that, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to be a part of and trying to add some leadership to. And, you know, look, let's talk offline, Renee. If you're doing something in the NBA market, we want to know. Let's go. Like, seriously. So I'm excited to be here and, and, and good to talk about this stuff. He's Greg Taylor, Executive Director of the NBA Foundation. We look forward to hearing more from you and from the NBA Foundation in the months and years to come. Thank you, Greg, for joining Thank us. You, Greg. I really appreciate it. It's good to see you yeah. soon and anytime. I appreciate your words and your perspective and, and, and the issues you guys are tackling on here and happy to be a part of it. We'll talk soon. Yes. Renee, you've been working on a long-term project for us making an audio diary about just the things that uh, that you're experiencing as a first-time owner in the WNBA. Uh, we're going to debut it right now. Is there anything you'd like to tell us about it before we roll it? Yeah, you know, being a player, you just don't see the other side of things, the things you have to prepare for, what the days look like. My game days look different, but they're still exciting. So, yeah, I had fun with this. Here's Renee's Owner's Diary, Chapter 1. I wake up five minutes before my alarm, which is pretty standard for me, but I typically lay until the alarm clock goes off. It was hard to sleep anyway. I mean, the adrenaline from last night is still coursing through me. Last night was a culmination of a year in the making. My first game as an owner of a WNBA franchise, the Atlanta Dream. For the Connecticut Sun as they close out and beat the Atlanta Dream 78 to 67. It's the morning after our first game, and we had a loss to the Connecticut Sun. And that game sticks in my mind because although I'm retired, I'm still such a competitor. But then I remind myself why I wanted to start this journey in the first place. The journey to be a co-owner of the Atlanta Dream was to continue to fight for change through sports. Last February, as we all know, the Atlanta Dream and the WNBA approved the sale of the Dream to Larry Gottsteiner, Suzanne Abair, and a familiar name to Dream fans, Renee Montgomery. Yeah, two-time champion, an all-star, and formerly with the Atlanta Dream, so she's no stranger to this organization. But now this adds player perspective to the executive office. She knows this team. She sued up with this team. So on top of planning for... Weeks and weeks on in about opening night, I had my family there. My parents were in the building to be able to see me. They saw my first game as a player, and now they saw my first game as an owner. Hey, good morning. Every morning, my fiance Serena Grace, brings me tea in bed, and then I roll out of bed, and I got to go check on my son, Junior, because the kids are in virtual school, and they love to act like it's not working, so I have to make sure that he's logged in and ready for class. After I hop out of bed, it's straight to business. My first Zoom is with the head of departments of the Atlanta Dream, and I actually enjoy it because everyone gets up to speed on what we're focused on that week and what we want to accomplish the next week. For me, I knew this year would be an enormous challenge in my life, but I had no idea it would be like this. Starting your first season in the era of COVID is, uh, to put it lightly, a logistical nightmare executive meetings, team management, even the WNBA draft was virtual. First pick in the 2021 WNBA draft. 
But that hasn't stopped all the progress we've made in branding this team and growing the sport. Always feel free to remind me because I will forget. Today is exciting for me because I'm learning that the COVID protocols are relaxing, so we should be able to get a lot more fans in the building. We made it a point that when we became owners, we wanted to do more in terms of promoting and marketing our players. Media Day was the first step. So when I first walked into the facility, I was super excited to see that things were running the right way again. It was also my first time seeing the players in person. Now, I saw them, but I didn't really get to interact much because of the COVID protocols. We had to be a certain distance apart. For me, it was tough because I like to be in the mix with players. Some of them were my former teammates, so I wanted to wrap up and talk with them. But at this time, there are a lot of precautionary measures that are being taken. So I took my videos from a distance. I watched the players dance because we had a DJ there for the vibes. I watched Odyssey's son run around the set the whole time. I still felt connected, but just from a distance. I'm so proud of the work we've done so far to make our players feel valued and to make our players feel like professional athletes. Oh, okay, that's a reminder for my daily TMZ sports hit. Time for me to look over the biggest news in sports from the previous day. Every fan thinks that they can be a coach, right? So here we go. Let's see. So after TMZ, it's on to my next media job, which is co-hosting Take Line with Jason. So today's episode is about the NBA playoffs. I'm pulling for my Hawks, and Jason is pulling for his formidable Knicks, too. We have Reggie Bullock. We have Alec Burks. Um, RJ Barrett has been, has been really shooting it well in stretches. But the guys you have are just like lights out shooters. So that's going to be a but, real test. But but our health has been yeah, a concern a all season long. All season. The exciting part is that we had a lot of players that were just straight up out and not available. Now we have a lot of players that are day-to-day, which like, you know, Red Velvet, Kevin Herter, yeah. uh, Gallo, um, Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn is day-to-day. Clint Capella. It's just a smart discussion about how the teams match up and what we expect to see in that series. After I'm done with that, I sign off, and then I call Suzanne A. Bear, who is the co-owner and president of the Atlanta Dream, for our weekly meeting. With COVID protocols lifting, we decided that we're going to start giving away a certain amount of tickets to groups and foundations in Atlanta who may not be able to afford to come to the game, but we still feel that they deserve to have a good time, so they're going to come for free. After that, my Atlanta dream responsibilities are complete, but my day is not done yet. I head out to go cover the Hawks at State Farm Arena. I'm the analyst for the Hawks Live pre-, halftime, and post-game show. Let's go! What a fourth quarter to come back and take down the 76ers. Yeah, you know, that quarter, that showed a lot of heart. That showed a lot of hustle. A lot of people counted us out. Even we went down big, but everyone stuck together. Coach Nate McMillan talked about it. In these tough times, you have to stick together, and that's exactly what we did. There's a lot of- so when the game ends, it's another 40 minutes of showtime, which makes me get home pretty late. So when I get home around 1130 or midnight, my 13-year-old's bedtime is usually 11. But on game nights, he gets a little extra time to stay up so he can tell me goodnight and so that we can talk about the Hawks game. (laughs) Once I talk to him and he goes to bed, my day is finally done, but the journey is far from over. Now the Dream have another game coming up, and I know we're fired up to bounce back from that previous loss. 
Sometimes I just can't believe I'm here, but to be honest, this was always my dream. Today is more than a page out of the life of Renee Montgomery. It's the culmination of so much hard work by so many people, and I plan to honor them every single day. Let's get it. Can't stop me. I'm a champion. Until next time, this is Renee Montgomery, Owner's Diary. Can't stop me. I'm a champion. I'm a champion. I'm a champion. Can't stop me, I'm a champion Raise my hand in victory for the battle's begun The will to succeed, I'm a champion Okay, okay, okay. You already know. I don't have to tell you that sound means it's time for buzzer beaters where we talk about some stories we didn't get to cover because we covered a lot of good stories in the show. But because of time, we might have missed a couple. I'll get the party started. Yes. The NCAA Supreme Court ruling. Thank goodness that the Supreme Court has some sense and they sided with the NCAA athletes. Bleacher Report said the NCAA cannot prevent colleges from providing educated-related benefits like computers, graduate scholarships, and internships to the athletes. It's crazy that we have to even say that they (laughs) can't. Like, I just can't even believe that we had to have this ruling. I'm glad we're here. I'm glad where we are in all things name, image, and likeness because you got to think a lot of athletes give their heart and soul. We know those athletes that were great in college maybe don't go on to have an amazing pro career. So imagine if those college athletes that were mega stars were able to make money during their time in school. I just don't know why the NCAA would want to block anything that progresses that. But listen, I'm glad we're here. I'm glad the Supreme Court ruling was the right ruling. And I'm glad that just college athletes are getting their just due because I'm, you know, I was a college athlete and I think that I'm happy with my scholarship. I'm happy with the free ride because I do know that a lot of people left college with a lot of debt. So I'm thankful for that. But I'm also excited to see a new era of athletes making money, man, whether it's college or not. Uh, My buzzer beater is going to be Jordan Clarkson, uh, sixth man of the year in the NBA, the greatest Filipino basketball player of all time. Some may disagree, but I'm going to say that. Jordan came to the defense of a Filipino food truck in Utah that was covered in spray painted by vandals, racist vandals and anti-Asian slurs. Clarkson paid to clean that up. He also promoted the the food truck. And that is just a great, an absolutely great thing that Jordan Clarkson did. And I think one of the, you know, as, as... you know, when I was growing up, nobody knew what Filipino was. It was like, I, I grew up in a white area predominantly. So it was like, you're Asian or you're Chinese. Nobody knew what this meant. And the kind of like broader awareness of our culture and cultures in general, a lot of a lot of the entry point for people to learn about other cultures is food. And so this is a really important, uh, a, a thing that should not be overlooked. And I'm super happy to rep Jordan Clarkson, again, the greatest Filipino basketball player of all time we love to see you jordan folks that's been take line for this week follow and subscribe to us on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts don't forget subscribe to take line show on youtube for exclusive videos from this episode plus my digital series all caps nba which airs every friday yeah it out folks goodbye Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sammy Gerard. 
Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.